Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and I'm pleased to have with us in our studio Colonel Stephen Vitale. Colonel Vitale has served for 35 years in the military with 32 years as a commissioned officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. He was commissioned a lieutenant in 1976 and has served at home and abroad, including Operations Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom. He retired in July 2008 and is a recent recipient, and I say recent as of just today, a recipient of a Quilt of Valor. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Curtis. It's great to have you here. So um, just a quick background. We have an exhibit going on right now here at the South Carolina State Library for the Quilts of Valor program. And there are over 200,000 quilts that have been presented nationwide. And according to their website, they're awarded to U.S. military service members and veterans who have been touched by war. So it's really a neat program, and we're happy to be a part of it. And uh, on our uh, podcast website, we will have a link to the Quilts of Valor website, which is qovf.org so you can visit that when you have a moment so um anyway what's it like to be a recipient of uh quilts of valor well it's very significant it's it's really an honor i see myself as a representative of countless hundreds of thousands of military that didn't receive honor when they came back or recognition and for me to be able to receive this quilt that's a significant uh honor it symbolizes you know the the population of America honoring us and the quilts are really just fantastic they really are amazing <coughs> and one thing that I will point out is that your father was also an awardee today he was he's 90 years old and he and I both share the same uh, birthday a patriotic birthday July 4th wow he's a career <laughs> military army guy and that's probably why I went to the Marine Corps. Isn't that something? Um, so speaking of why you went into the Marine Corps, um, what first got you interested in, in going the military route? Well, my uncles on both sides of the family all served in World War II. Ah. And then my father, of course, was a, a career military uh, army. And I grew up in Fort Jackson. We both have the same birthday. I came across my first image of America was as we sailed on the SS Constitution, and I saw the Statue of Liberty as we came into New York. Oh, wow. So I always had this patriotic view of America. I loved it, and I always knew I wanted to join a service, which one? always wanted to have a challenge, uh-huh. and the Marine Corps, to me, was a service that gave the greatest challenge. Well, now, did your dad have, <coughs> have any problem with that? <laughs> no, he didn't. He, was, he's, he is a laid-back, World War II-type guy, uh-huh. and uh, he always supported me. He was just a great guy. That's great. Um, so you've done a lot in the military, and I was looking over your um, your biography for the, the Quilts of Valor, and you've <coughs> served just uh, some amazing situations. Um, so what was it like serving in Iraq and Afghanistan? Do you have any particular stories that have come to mind? Sure, there were uh, two separate type of identities. Iraq, of course, it was in the desert plains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also acting as a logistics. I was the assistant chief of staff G8 for the Second Marine Expeditionary Force. And when I went into Iraq, there was no Marine Corps organizational structure. Hmm. So when the general gave it to me, the assignment, 
I had to leave three months before the, the unit deployed so I could take three of my individuals, three of my staff, to roam the countryside from Baghdad to Syria to Jordan to Saudi Arabia so I can get an assessment of what uh, tasks we need to do. And we were doing everything from uh, electricity, billeting, uh, runway repairs, taking down camps, building up uh, forward operating bases, hazmat, uh, the whole gamut. Everything that is done inside of a town, I'm mm -hmm. responsible for. But here we have 27 of those forward operating bases. Two of them were air bases. And uh, wow. so it was such a huge uh, responsibility in, at the per particular time, mm -hmm. I hadn't had a clue what my job, how <laughs> I was going to accomplish it. And uh, I literally would go like to TQ and I would see a block of generators uh -huh. and they were, they were stacked high. Wow. And I'm going, why is, why is it that the runway doesn't have any lights at night? Because they had two Lance Corporals that serviced the generators. But only one was a technician, and he only knew how to work on, I think, three models of generators. Uh -huh. You had a block at least 15 foot high of generators because they all went out of either gas or oil or whatever. Uh -huh. And so that was just one aspect. I mean, when I had a close rate, I had a close camp dogwood. In my first three days of running tractor trailers, we had two army battalions that worked in our area of operations. And when it time came for them to rotate, they rotated out. Uh -huh. But the units that were supposed to come in for them didn't come. So automatically, I was given the word that these guys have left. You've got a base with two battalions of equipment, supplies, uh, all the materials, and you and it's along the Euphrates River, which oh, is a wow. very dangerous portion. You better get this stuff closed down quick. So I go out and I contract with some Iraqis and the first three days all my uh, tractor trailer low boys with the convoys were hit. Oh wow. And then I brought graders in and they were ambushed and all the Iraqis I had bringing the graders were killed. Mm. And so it was always that give and take. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually uh, had a uh, individual bringing us stakes into Camp Fallujah and he was, uh, he was killed right outside the gate trying to get in. Oh wow. So, there was a, always a chaotic environment. Sure. And I was always getting requests. And because we had such responsibility to provide that life support for everybody, mm -hmm. it, was just, uh, it was just a stressful but a very exacting. It was, a, it was a really a great challenge that when you finished it, you finished mm -hmm. the day, mm -hmm. you walked away saying, we did something. Right. And my right. guys really did something. We, we provided the support for 47,000 people. Jeez. That's so amazing. That was a wreck. And that was a, as an engineer and logistician. Mm -hmm. When I returned to the States, uh, I only had a couple of weeks off. Mm -hmm. And I get word that I'm going to take a command as an infantry officer, mm -hmm. which is my preferable way to go, mm -hmm. <laughs> to, go to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. The went through my training up at Quantico, pre-deployment training with my embedded training team. And as I was coming out of the field and we were about to deploy, I got a call from Marine Central Command and had me go up to a, the conference table and get in a communication with him. And he told me that the colonel that I was replacing, that mm -hmm. I was expecting to do a turnover with, mm -hmm. has been relieved of command. Mm -hmm. Told me that the, 
General Jackson, the deputy commander, was at a Bagram Hospital, and he was visiting a Marine who had a beard who looked, as the general said, he looked like he went rogue. Mm -hmm. He was shot in the chest getting on a helicopter because he didn't wear his flight jacket. Mm. So the uh, chief of staff at Marine Central Command told me to get my rear end into gear and get on the plane and get into Afghanistan and get it back in line. Wow. So flew over and and not only did I have my embedded training team, because we were the senior advisor to the Afghan mm -hmm. Army, but I had a assumed command of the 201st Regional Corps Advisory Group, which is all the advisors in 11 provinces, about the size of Maryland. Mm -hmm. And when it, four days after I got there, I'm sitting there with the, the general that I now advise in his office, and we asked the regional police chief to come and visit us, because we wanted to exchange liaison officers. And while we were there, my interpreter, he hears a phone call that's coming to General Mongol. That's who I advise. We're both like joint command. Mm -hmm. And it's the President Karzai and his, and his uh, operations, G3 guy, and they're t telling General Mongol that uh, Kabul is under major riots mm. and that they're moving, they're building. Uh, they're burning cars, they're building, burning buildings. The police have already been uh, retracted from the Kabul, the capital. They were fighting and, and they were forced out. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted us to move and restore order in the capital of Afghanistan. I've been mm -hmm. there for four days, mm -hmm. replacing a, a colonel that has been relieved of mm -hmm. command. And so I sat there for about 30 minutes trying to develop a plan <laughs> on how I was going to take my force, my Afghan force, uh -huh. because all coalition uh, personnel, they're the ones that caught, there was a wreck going down Kabul hills, and Americans were driving the vehicles that bashed into the, and killed some of the Afghan civilians, mm. and of course the population went wild. Sure. So I had to come up with a process within 30 minutes, and I described it to the general, it's like a bowling tea. I mm -hmm. just want to take the top off the teapot mm -hmm. and get the steam out. Exactly. So what I did was I we moved a brigade to encircle the city, mm -hmm. cut all the avenues in and out, and then uh, we put martial law on it for about three days, mm -hmm. moved some tanks to and some artillery pieces to guard the major installations, and after a few days, voila, wow. it, uh, it worked out. Gosh, that uh, sounds. I mean, it's you just while you're telling that, uh, you know, you get these images in your head of of what it was. But if you had only been there four days, you didn't really didn't know anything. And didn't it, know your way around the town or anything. And plus, I had to set up a communications, a tactical operations center. Uh huh. And what I, you know, because now I'm advising, and you know, you're trying to gauge what's the competency of the Afghan force. Mm -hmm. And when I set up this tactical operations center. All of a sudden, there was no communications. There were no charts. There was. I ended up. My interpreter was named Shafi, mm -hmm. a young kid married to his cousin, uh, in law school, and he was very good. I was so fortunate to have him. And my communications, even using our own military radios, were so bad mm. that I would have Shafi, and he would call his relatives in Kabul. And his relatives would feed me intelligence, really? so I could I could assess it, wow. <laughs> and maneuver our forces. 
That's amazing. Was that um, was that more common than uh, like because there were a lot of interpreters, I imagine, working. It right. There are interpreters that I had. A lot of them could interpret it, but they didn't understand the military customs. Sure. And in Afghanistan, there's different dialects. There's Pashtun, there's Diary, there are different various tribes. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you say may be interpreted very uh, wrong. Yeah. And uh, Shafi was so good because I knew and I trusted him mm -hmm. that whatever I said, he knew how to translate that mm -hmm. into those military terms that these Afghans, and especially uh, General McGall, could do. Uh, one time when Shafi couldn't come, I had this interpreter I brought up, and uh, he was so bad that General McGall put his little table up before me, and we actually sat there looking at each other, drawing pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's all you can do. Yeah. You know, you have to make sure that you're understanding one another clearly, and, you know, to accomplish the, the mission, you, you've got to be on the same page. Plus, the culture is so dynamically apart opposed to us. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's an Islamic culture. Right. We, we really don't see, uh, we don't see things the same way. Sure. It's not derogatory to anybody. Right. It's just, it's just it's different. different. I was up in, uh, in Bella, which is deep in the mountains, in the Hindu Kish mountains, and I was having a, a shure with some of the elders, and one of the elders came over to me and he wanted to sell me donkey insurance. Now, being a Westerner, <laughs> I thought he was joking, sure, and I started sure. laughing. Uh huh. And that's because it's, it's just natural right. death is my culture. And then you didn't see him laugh. No, he didn't. <laughs> and then I think it was two weeks later, my donkeys with all our supplies were burning on the side of the road. You're kidding. So those are the type of wow. delicacies that you have to uh -huh. manage. Uh, I know that I I arrested the first. Afghan general in Afghanistan and he came he was a Tajik and he was from the same tribe of the chief of staff of the whole Afghan army Bishop mm -hmm. Lula Khan plus General Mongol the guy that I advised to arrest an Afghan general with the traditions that they have that's a that is a very huge uh, attempt you're trying to make mm -hmm. and we we're mm -hmm. trying to instill the rule of law mm -hmm. so I had to go bring General Mongol down to my uh, area and I spent two hours that night trying to convince him that for the Afghan rule of law we have to arrest a individual mm -hmm. who abuses his soldiers mm. and uh, the next he finally submitted to me the next morning I had my my staff bring him up to the general's office mm -hmm. which is about not much larger than this room mm -hmm. And when they brought the general up that I'm arresting, he came up with his personal bodyguards. Wow. And they all had AK-47s. I'm sure. And he told me he wasn't going to be arrested. Mm. And so I had a couple of members of my staff, and I had a French colonel that worked for me. Mm -hmm. And I had my SJ, my lawyer. And we were going back and forth. And at some point in time, I told him, you are now under arrest. And as the lawyer wrote in his journal, at, when he looked around the room, everyone had their hands on uh, their weapons oh because yeah. at the next second, we were all going to start shooting in that room. Jeez. And we walked out after, after he said, okay, and, and uh, another general 
asked me to allow him to escort him down to the brig. Mm-hmm. But when they walked out of the facility, the mm-hmm. African headquarters, that general made a run, and the other general had to ch- had to tackle him. <laughs> You're kidding! <laughs> to go down there. That's so, crazy. I, the culture is so different, but to me, Afghanistan was was a blessed place to be. The traditions they had, just the people. Uh, I really love being in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weather, the mountain ranges, mm-hmm. but uh, that general he put a contract on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the intel officer invited me to go eat mm-hmm. when we went out to uh, one of the outer provinces. Mm-hmm. And, f- and he wanted me to go the next night, go fish with him. Mm-hmm. And I sort of understood what that meant, so mm-hmm. I declined. Yeah, yeah, that was probably a smart move. Um, so one of the other things that I wanted to just quickly chat about, and since this is Library Voices South Carolina, this is our podcast, and it's a lot we do with libraries. As we were talking earlier, you mentioned something that I want to chat about <laughs> just for a second, but you're working on a book. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, what what kind of concept it is or, or uh, what it's going to be about? Because you certainly have a lot of stories. <laughs> It is a book about Afghanistan, but it's it's not about really the combat portion of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's about what an advisor does, the relationships that he has with his interpreter, mm-hmm. with the Afghans that he serves with. Uh, you know, because I literally had to live with them. I mean, you ate the same sure. meal every day, and mm-hmm. and it was it was different. And then all the challenges that you have, because remember in Afghanistan you're building an army from scratch. Mm-hmm. So Afghanistan is a very remote area. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the population lives very rural and they're illiterate. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to read or write a large portion of them. They speak two different languages. When you go out to talk to a Afghan unit, mm-hmm. the general speaks in Pashtun, mm-hmm. the language of the common men, and then he <laughs> repeats the whole speech again in diary, which is the language of the officer corps. Wow. And so there's there's so many intricacies mm-hmm. in relationships like that, getting to know the molas and stuff, mm-hmm. that the book is geared towards how does a, an advisor mm-hmm. go in and change within a period of time the whole concept of how an old traditional army that, that fought under this with the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and they then went out with the Taliban. How do you how do you change the the environment? I mean, is it the Western culture you come in? I once had a uh, an Afghan who told me when I asked him, "How do I get to actually understand and, and know what you you think?" He mm-hmm. says, "You first have to marry an Afghan uh, female, be married for about ten years." Jeez. living in Afghanistan, and then you may begin to be- begin to understand. to understand. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a completely foreign concept. I mean, but, um, but you know, uh, we need books like that. We need uh, that kind of information so that people can understand and, and broaden their knowledge base about, about all these kind of things. So maybe next November, when you have it done, we'll have you back to do an author talk. Ah, thank you. <laughs> How does that sound? All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it.
We appreciate it, too. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. Until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>